Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with some of the most innovative minds in technology to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they hope to have in the future. From the machine learning programs that are solving some of the world's biggest problems to what AI can do to help fight biological bottlenecks in human thinking, no topic is off limits. So sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. This week, we have a special episode of Future of Tech. Avishai recently got a chance to sit down with Eric Boyer, the Executive Vice President of Customer Technology Platforms at AT AT&T, to discuss how current and future innovations are going to have massive ripple effects into the businesses of tomorrow. The world is more connected than ever because of the internet, and this interconnectedness will only increase. How will all of this interconnection empower individuals and businesses? Today's guest, Eric Boyer, the Executive Vice President of Customer Technology Platforms at AT AT&T, is an ideal person to speak about technology's ability to connect people and ideas, and talk about how technology is being utilized strategically in business. On this episode of Future of Tech, Eric shares his thoughts about the potential force artificial intelligence and 5G may have in changing our world. He also gives some guidance on how business leaders can approach digitally transforming their own companies. Enjoy this episode. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs's R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. Welcome to a new episode of Future of Tech. And I'm very pleased and honored to have with me today, Eric Boyer. Hello, Eric. Hi. Eric, um, maybe we'll start, you know, with, with, uh, with a brief uh, description about your position in AT&T. What, what's your role and, and what are you doing today? So our audience will know, you know, uh, whom am I meeting and why I'm so pleased to, to have this meeting. Sure. I have the honor and privilege of leading the, uh, the IT platform organization inside of AT&T that represents all of the customer facing uh, IT platforms for both our consumer and enterprise business teams, inclusive of the digital and e-commerce teams. Great. Now, your journey started, I've seen, in, in Kansas, which, you know, the only thing I know about Kansas is that Dorothy came from there. Dorothy and the current national championship basketball team is oh. Kansas. Oh, great. And uh, you've started your career in technology? Or you took a different uh, journey? No, a bit of a different journey. I joined Southwestern Bell Telephone in 1990 um, as part of a leadership development program. Um, And I had many roles in uh, parts of our business, taking care of customers, managing representatives who took care of our customers. I was fortunate enough to find my way into product management role Mm -hmm. um, in the mid-90s. Just as the internet was taking off as a as a major consumer driver, um, I spent many years in in different parts of uh, of our internet business, um, both in the 
product and process management side, as well as in the operations end of it. That led to our UVerse product development effort, which was uh, increased speeds of broadband as well as integrated television over an IP network uh, back in the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to go spend some time in Mexico City representing our interests there. Mm-hmm. I uh, came back and I spent some time in operations in our enterprise business team. And then uh, in 2013, I came back over to Consumer and helped launch what is now AT&T Fiber. It was called Gigapower at the uh-huh. time. And so, again, more of a product development, product management effort. And then we we acquired DirecTV. Mm-hmm. And I, I moved to California, spent time with the DirecTV team. And at that time, our chief technology officer chose to go take a job outside the company. Um, and I was asked and given the opportunity to lead the technology team at DirecTV. And we, we built out what is now called DirecTV Stream. Mm-hmm. It was AT&T TV when we built it out, but cloud-native platform that delivered uh, all of the the live and, and VOD streaming for, for DirecTV. Um, and then I was asked to take on the, the consumer IT platforms uh, in 2020. And so I've been leading that and, and picked up the enterprise business IT platforms uh, just a few months ago. Great. What a journey. So thanks for sharing. Now, you've seen a lot of things throughout the years in the industry. Why do you think that the internet changed so much in our life? What, what, what was the driving forces behind it that changed the industry almost upside down? Oh, I think, I mean, I think so many things. I mean, I think, you know, in the, in the early days of the internet, I think it was a new and efficient way of connecting people to people mm-hmm. and people to information yeah. in ways that, you know, they not been able to do previously. Yep. And, and so a major catalyst just in that, I think as the internet has become ubiquitous and as broadband has become ubiquitous and as the internet moved from wired connections to wireless connections, I think all of that has just accelerated. And so um, it has become a major disruptive force because it's such an efficient way of connecting people to things that they want to be connected to most of the time that you want to be connected to. Yeah, right. There's lots of things that you may not want to be connected to that come along the way, but, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but you know, whether you're talking about connecting with your friends or your family or whether you're talking about connecting to music or entertainment video or news and information, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate inefficiency. And so I think that's been the catalyst. So would you say that the digital revolution that we are witnessing in the last several years is part of it or emerged out of it or, you know, it's kind of uh, intertwined? I mean, I, I think a little bit of both. I think, um, I think it's, a, it's a logical evolution. Once you get to ubiquitous access with interfaces that are intuitive and easy to use, I mean, if you think about it's one thing to have the internet. It's another thing. I think the iPhone, you know, jump-started the, the interface that made it portable, mm-hmm. um, that made it intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, those two things combined to lead us down this path where, you know, customers would just prefer 
to interact digitally. And I think we're still in, you know, the early part of what that evolution looks like. So now I would like to touch your AT&T role. So you know that digital is coming or everybody knows it, um, but you are, you know, in the eye of the storm. What did you do? Well, what did we do and what are we doing? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what we did was we have a business that is largely built on a technology stack mm-hmm. that is a bit dated. Um, and we made major investments to build a very modern microservices-based set of technologies to interconnect with those platforms to help us bring uh, e-commerce to our customers and help uh, significantly ease the the ability of of our customers doing to do business with us. Yeah. And so, you know, over the last six or seven years, uh, we've made very significant investments in that digital layer. Part of it is you have to acknowledge and embrace the need to go invest in in a digital transformation. True. Um, and then you have to go do it. Yeah. Um, and for a while, you know, I think we we put off doing it, but uh, I'm very proud of the efforts of the team over the last four or five years as we've we've made major strides, and I think we've done a, a really great job in investing in that. Is it um, this change? Is it just technology? Is it people? Both? Is it a cultural change? I think it's all of the above, but I think it's I think it it starts with people. Okay. And then it, I think it becomes culture. And I think the technology change is almost, is almost easy once you've, once you've aligned your, your people around a mission and you, you've created the culture that you need. The easy part is picking the technologies. The hard part is, is getting people aligned to, to build those technologies out to, to meet the purposes that you're, you're trying to achieve. And how, how did you do, do that? Well, I, th- I think for one thing, it's moving forward with the team and creating a vision. Okay. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've created a vision that we're going, to, we're going to transform our company. We're going to invest in current generation platforms. We're going to engage with our customers in the ways in which the customers want to be engaged with. Okay. Um, and increasingly that's, that's digital. We're very much moving toward a omni-product, omni-channel environment where uh, we seamlessly interconnect our retail stores, our call centers, and our digital properties in ways where our customers can move seamlessly from one to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that no matter which path they choose, if they decide at some point in the middle of it, they want to go down a different path. If mm-hmm. you came online and you decided that you'd like to have somebody help you finish out your transaction. Uh, we want to make that seamless. And so we want our customers to be able to move from one to the other. And so creating that vision and embracing our people as we create that vision and we create it together so that we're all bought into what we're trying to do. And then, you know, working together as a team to go build against that vision yep. uh, is really the, the path we've chosen. And I think, it's the, I think it's the path that makes the most sense. But I would like to uh, ask you about the challenges along the way. How do you scale it? So you have a vision, you have a team of, let's say, 10 people that understand the vision. And then, but how do you make it into a huge organization as AT&T and make this uh, 
a real impact? The best answer that I can give you is communicate. And my experience is that no matter how much you communicate, it's never enough. <laughs> and so, you know, what we try to do is, is we try and do a lot of open forum town hall sessions. Okay. We try and do a lot of written communications. We have a forum for our people where they can ask anonymous questions 24 by 7. We try and post the answers back to, you know, whatever questions they might have asked. And it's really to make sure we're, we're communicating as openly, as transparently, as freely as possible, as often as possible. It's really the only way to keep everybody as close to on the same page as we can. To your point, AT&T is a very big company. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people who are in a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the challenge is how do, we, how do we keep everybody aligned and moving toward the same goals all the time? And again, there's no, there's no substitute for communicating yeah. both. And communicating is not just me and my team telling people what we're doing. It's listening. It's engaging in a dialogue. It's giving people the opportunity to ask questions and to challenge, well, why are we doing it this way? And why aren't we doing it that way? And to engage in, in that question and answer and help them understand why we make the choices that we do. And so our intention is to be uh, as truthful and transparent at all times as we can possibly be, and to engage with our team in as many ways as we can to try and keep everybody as closely connected as possible. That's very powerful. Thank you. Now, throughout the journey that you've mentioned, modernizing the, the solution, going into a digitized ecosystem, can you share some of the main milestones, you know, like you, you've designed, a, it's like a project or a process. Uh, what What are the, you know, the, the main things that you foresaw when you started the journey and, and can you share some of the obstacles that you faced? Well, we're, we're early in the journey in many respects. Okay. Um, I mean, we, we are a company that is a, a wireless business and a fiber business. Okay. Those products came from two separate entities. And uh -huh. at one point in time, our wireless business uh, was a joint venture called Singular with, you know, Bell South and other companies And our, and our fiber is an outgrowth of our wireline and broadband company from Southwestern Bell SBC. And so the, the roots of those two product lines go back to, to those days. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're on a journey to modernize all of that. As I mentioned, you know, we've spent the last five or six years building what I call a digital bridge okay. uh, across those two discrete environments to... Uh, help convey to our customers, you know, a single integrated solution that's easy to do business with digitally. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that that those two businesses live on two different IT stacks. Mm -hmm. And those IT stacks need to be modernized. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're in the middle of doing today. We're migrating to new biller, new charging rating, new policy, new catalog cart, And we're migrating both of our businesses, wireless and fiber, onto that platform over the next several years. We're migrating our CRM solutions for all agent-oriented interactions. And then we have our, our existing digital front ends, both web and app, mm -hmm. that then interface through a common uh, integration layer that we've built out. And we are, let's say we're 
two years into a four year journey to get all of that work done. So there, there's, there's a lot of work to do in terms of milestones. We've fully integrated knowledge management and we've migrated all of our knowledge management from the platform. We, I think we had 16 separate email systems that were, that were shooting out emails to customers at various points of an order, um, non-integrated. Uh, and so we've been able to, to migrate to their lifecycle management platform. We've been able to create a customer 360 environment for a portion of our customer care, sort of the day two care centers. Um, and we'll continue to build that out. So we're, we're proud of those milestones. Um, as far as the main work that we've, we've done around uh, uh, catalog, cart, billing, we're anticipating our first product to come later this year. And then we'll, we'll move through migrating other product lines over the course of the next two years. Now, in this, uh, in this journey, uh, you've probably um, encountered the phenomena that we're all witnessing lately is how to maintain talents. How can you make sure that, you know, good guys are not running into startups or uh, if they do, they come back? What's your uh, secret weapon to either to maintain or attract, um, you know, the bright guys and girls? Yeah, I, I think uh, I'll focus on retain. We're really pleased, I think, with our attrition levels relative to the industry. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, helping our people feel valued. And I mean, it sounds very straightforward and obvious, help your people feel valued. Um, but a lot of that comes from uh, what we try and do around helping them understand the mission, mm-hmm. um, helping them be a part of creating the mission and ha- helping them, you know, have the ability to contribute into, well, what are we doing and why are we doing it this way? And helping them understand how important the mission is to the long-term success of our business. Yep. I think that's been very important. We have been a team that has tried to honor the flexibility requests of our customer of our employees in terms of of how they do their work and where they do their work. COVID, I think, threw everybody for a bit of a loop with uh, with its many challenges. And I couldn't be more proud of our team and the way they responded in terms of managing their work remotely. We were able to do tremendous, get tremendous things done while working remotely. Um, and so we want to respect that and the desire of, of many of our employees to want to continue to work remotely. Um, and so we've, we've done our best to try and be as flexible and accommodating as we can um, in terms of, of what we do for them. And then you know, I, our, our leadership team and our HR team does a nice job in terms of making sure that we're providing a good, robust benefits package and we're making AT&T a, a great place to work for all of our employees. So, uh, you know, I, if there's a formula somewhere, uh, somebody please send it to me, but, <laughs> but that's the formula that, that we're trying to follow. In a way, it ties back into what you said earlier about culture, about sharing with people, being transparent and, and, and making them part of the greater goal as opposed to just, you know, uh, giving them additional uh, money or something like this. Once you tie people into a cause, it's, it's easier to maintain and retain people. I want to believe that. It's how we try and lead our teams. 
it's really important to me. And I, I believe, I believe one, I believe we do retain more people if they feel like they're, they're involved and they're part of the cause. But as importantly is I think, you know, we're able to get more done as a team. I think people are able to contribute more if they really feel bought in and they understand the purpose of what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it. Um, I think we, we tend to, to get more done as a team when everybody's on board and, and a part of the solution. Let me pause here for a second and ask you um, kind of a personal question, which is how, how do you maintain work-life balance? Obviously, uh, you need to work around the clock, you support, you know, AT&T is all over the place and you have a family. So how, how do you maintain both? Oh, I mean, the honest answer, if, if my wife were here, she would tell you probably not very well. <laughs> um, I'm at a point in my life where my, my children are grown and, and out of the house. Um, and so that affords me uh, a bit of flexibility that, that maybe I didn't have when my, when my children were, were at home. You know, I, first thing I do is, is uh, I, I have complete trust in my team. And so, you know, I don't, I don't feel the need to be uh, in the middle of every decision that they're making and, and uh, you know, uh, completely looking over their shoulder w- w- with everything that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think it starts there. If, yep. you, if, you, if you feel like you've got to be making every decision and you have to be in the middle of, of you know, everything that everybody's doing, it's, it's going to be really hard to find any balance. So I trust my team. And, you know, beyond that, I try and maintain sort of a, a steady pulse on what's going on. You know, I will engage in some form of work on the, you know, if we're talking about the weekend, every three, four hours, you know, I'll, I'll check and see what's going on. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm sending things off to my team and I want them to be working on things, but I, but I know what's going on. When I go on vacation, I know what's going on. And that's, that's the balance that I found and, and it's what's worked for me. And I've told my team, you know, here's the thing when, you, when, when you're working with me, I'm going to send emails over the weekend. Unless I mark it urgent, needs response right now, it doesn't mean I expect you to get back to me over the weekend. Um, and so, you know, to the extent that, that, that that's my work-life balance, that is what it is. That's what, it's what works for me. Yeah. I try and respect that others have different formulas for work-life balance. And by respecting that I don't need you to respond at 10 o'clock at night, I don't need you to respond, you know, on the weekend just because I sent you something, it means when I do need the team to respond. When we do have a crisis, I know they will come running because, you know, those are the exceptions and not the rule. That's the example that I try and set for my teams. And, you know, there's a lot going on. And so I'm sure that work-life balance is a struggle for, for all of us, but that's my best answer. That's a good answer. Um, now, this podcast is about technology. So let's speak a bit about technology. Sure. What's your philosophy about AI? Everybody speaks about AI. Everybody wants AI. How do you uh, look at, uh, at AI? Well, I, I think AI is an iterative and evolutionary type of technology. 
I think what tends to happen is we get wrapped up in the in the buzz of AI, um, and you know we chase projects where we're going to fix everything all at once because we've we've found a way to you know connect to some form of AI engine. Um, so very true. And it, it you know it, it it just doesn't it's just not reality, right? I think it's it's a fool's game to sort of get sucked into. Yeah. Okay, here's you know everything is going to be answered because we we're, we're connected to this AI solution. Yeah. With that said, uh, I think a- AI is extremely powerful. You have to be thoughtful about your architecture and how your data is being managed. Um, and if you are, then I think you can you can smartly deploy AI throughout your architecture, and you can iterate your way to very positive outcomes. And so, you know, AI is not going to solve all the world's problems today. It will, if used correctly, I believe, solve a lot of problems tomorrow. Yeah. And it will grow into those solutions over time. Yeah. Now, we are in, in a period in time that change is here to stay. Kind of every day there is something new, everything is changing. And how do you make sure your team, your organization is, is up to date or, you know, at least, you know, understand what's happening? Well, so change covers a, a large spectrum. Okay. I think at AT&T, our leadership team does a, does a really good job of communicating industry change, um, communicating the changes in strategy for our company. We make resources available to our employees depending upon their specific interests where they can, you know, take new training, um, have new opportunities to learn about a whole range of topics that are constantly evolving. And so, you know, for me, I have the benefit of, of those resources who are making that available to people. I don't, I don't sort of take that burden on myself. The burden that I do try and take on is the change that impacts our programs in the short, medium, and long term. And that, that, that simply goes back to the conversation we had earlier around the focus on communication um, and trying to be as, again, transparent and truthful uh, with our team as quickly as I can. And so, you know, in those, in those town hall meetings, in the written communication, in the answers that I provide, uh, we try and help people understand when things are coming as quickly as, as possible. Uh, and so our, we just went through the restructure of our company. And so uh, we knew that there would be an organizational change that was, that was coming. And so for several months before the event actually happened, you know, I was trying to be as transparent with my team as possible and say, look, there are changes coming. I don't know exactly what they are, but I know that they're coming for these three reasons. We're in the middle of our program. I need us to collectively not get distracted by these changes, but I want you to know that they're coming. And so, and so for us, I think if, if the team knows that things are coming, uh, it can help prepare them for change. And so when the change comes, you know, it's not as drastic as it might otherwise be. Yeah. Yep. Now, Everybody speaks, um, you know, nowadays in the last at least uh, year or two about 5G, 
How big of a change do you think 5G is going to bring into the market? Let's go back in time to try and answer that question. So, you know, if, if we were having this conversation at the cusp of 4G, yeah. and, you know, we were trying to, to anticipate, well, you know, how big a change do you think 4G is going to make? And can we, can we you know, guess about what the future might look like? We would have been, we, we would have been wildly wrong. <laughs> Um, wrong. Wrong. And, and I think it's the same cycle for 5G. I mean, 5G brings incredible increases in not only speed, but, you know, in, in battery utilization and in, in the ways in which we're able to manage our networks um, and in the flexibility that we're able to provide in, in, in so many ways, certainly at the consumer level, but also at the enterprise level for companies who, you know, are trying to manage very unique application needs. And I think we're, re- we're really only scratching at the surface of, of what 5G will bring. And like any innovation, I mean, we talked about you, you we opened this by, by talking about, well, you know, what do you think, how has the internet evolved and, you know, in what ways did it change people's lives? I think same kind of thing. I think, you know, you can, you can, you can see some of this, but until people have the opportunity to truly innovate and experience some of these technologies as they become available and build on them, will we really know? So it's, it's sort of, I'm, I'm sort of punting on your question because I, I don't know. I, I'm certain that it is going to be meaningful and impactful, but I don't think, I don't think any of us have, have begun to see what that looks like yet. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I couldn't agree more. If you look at the industry as a whole, from your perspective, so we talked about 5G, we talked about, you know, the digitized revolution. What else do you see either coming ahead of us or we are in, in the midst of, of um, big forces that are changing what we're doing? There are other vectors that are happening as we speak. Mm, it's hard to sort of project those things, not, you know, sort of the same conversation we just had as computing power has come down in cost, you know, look at, look at all of the, the, the things that have happened as, as those communication vehicles at very high rates, you know, are more ubiquitous and are also um, much more, much more cost effective. It's an amplification effect. Um, And so, any business that is utilizing data in any form. And, and what's going through my head as I say this is the content business. Okay. You know, and you look at what is happening today in the content business. Uh, entertainment content is the one I think most people are familiar with. And what the disruptive qualities of that have been on pay TV environments and how all of that has played out. You know, I think, I think we think about that in the, in really the first world, right? In the developed, in the developed nations. I think what happens as we move forward is that kind of ubiquity begins to become, you know, more spread across the world to, to really everybody. Yeah. And I think the power of having that many people interconnected with those kinds of bandwidths opens the door to so many things that I can't begin to understand. I think that is a, I think that is a disruptive force. I think that that force begins to manifest itself in fields like education. Mm. Uh, you know, we've talked about, you know, remote learning 
uh, and online learning for a very long time, but we haven't really seen a massive, a massive shift there yet. We're starting to, but, but, you know, I think the power of that, particularly as you talk about bringing that level of access to information and knowledge and the world's best teachers to people around the world who just don't have access to it today. I think that's a major disruptive force that will play out over the, over the course of the next few years. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And tell me, when you look, we talked about earlier about technology and people, but there is another interesting angle, which I believe the last several years changed dramatically. It's the connection between technology and business people. How do you see this um, as something that is forming the, um, you know, our present and, and, and Say future? more. Tell me a little bit more. What do you mean by... The fact that technology was always a silo. Um, and, and business people looked at it as, you know, as the geeks that are doing our technology, as opposed to now that technology is, is an enabler for many business initiatives and business people are starting to speak the technology jargon in many aspects. Is this something that resonates with you? Very, very much so. I look at the evolution of, of my business yep. and we, we talked about my career. Yep. And so, you know, I came up and, and I did roles in operations, of course, But I told you that, you know, a big, a big portion of my career was in, was in product development and product management. And in the industry that I grew up in, that, that was how we functioned. We had a group of people who we did our market research. Uh, we would come up with our, our product plans. We would create business cases. We would submit them for approval Uh, they would get approved and then we would turn and we would begin developing requirements. Yep. And then we'd take the requirements and we would throw them over the wall to the technologists and we would say, go make this happen. Yep. If you look at, you know, cloud native companies today, they're not run that way, right? The, the product people are technologists. They're embedded in the development teams themselves. Mm. And so, you know, you may, have a, you may have a product person who's sort of defining an overarching strategy, but those organizational barriers between the traditional business and technologists in cloud native companies, those don't exist. At least they don't exist in the ways that we have, have that we traditionally think about them and in and the way, you know, my career has evolved. Yeah. And so... I absolutely believe that we're pivoting and moving toward a model that looks more like that. And the place that we're in and what I tell my team today is, you know, historically, and I think this is the point you're making, you know, technology has almost been viewed as a cost center. Exactly. Uh, and now, you know, it, it is a strategic partner that, that plays a critical role at the decision-making table where we need... We need a business strategy. And before the ink is dry on the business strategy, you have to have a technology strategy that immediately aligns cool. for the execution of that business strategy. That's the place that we are today in our evolution. I think tomorrow, the technology strategy and the business strategy are being done together, together. by the same people. And I think, you know, that's, that's really... that's really the case in some of the, and like I said, in some of the cloud native companies that have spun up in the last 10 or 15 years. And the good ones, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, wisely said. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. Tell me, there is a young guy sitting there 
well actually let's say he's in in, in he's planning now his his uh, or how to digitize his enterprise and he's asking seeking for two or three advices before he, he embarked into this journey within with, with, with his organization what would they be from your perspective how big's the enterprise big um, you know what let's let's do uh, a mid-size enterprise mid-size enterprise I think the first thing is you have to understand the true challenge of what it is you're taking on. These are hard processes um, and hard journeys to take on. I think you have to realize that it's not a technology journey by itself. It's a people journey. It's a cultural journey. It's a business political journey at times. Uh, I think you have to be eyes wide open about that. I think you have to realize that no matter how fast you think you want it to happen, it's going to happen over its own timeline. And that timeline will be longer than, than you planned for. And so, you know, you asked about what questions do I ask? I think the first question is, is the leadership team of this enterprise on board? And what I mean by on board is it's not, you know, do they say, yes, we should digitally transform? Okay. Do they understand what it means to digitally transform? Do they understand the time that it will take? Do they understand the investment that will be required? Do they understand the trade-offs that will have to be made in where we're utilizing our development capacity for running our business day-to-day while we transform? I think that's really important. I think there's a there's also it's also important to gain some consensus on what does the future state look like. Really spend some time, you know, writing down and documenting this is what our future state is going to look like. Yeah. Because I think it's easy for if you have 10 people who are involved in thinking about our future state and they have a conversation, They'll all leave the conversation thinking that everybody is aligned. But if you talk to them individually, you'll get 10 Le- different 11 versions, different 11, versions. Yeah, 11 different versions of, of, yeah. what, that, of what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, and so investing the time up front in making sure that everybody understands this is what we're going to go do. This is what we're going to go do. This is how we're going to go do it. Um, and these are the trade-offs that I think we're probably going to have to make. Those would be the things that I would, I would suggest you spend time with. Perfect. Would you suggest uh, people to go today to take a technology career? Oh, of course. You know, I, I, I more than ever in our history, I think everything that we do uh, revolves around technology in some way, shape, or form. Now, I might say it a little bit differently. I might say, well, of course you should pursue a technology career. But I would not be narrow in how I think about my technology career. I think many people decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to pursue a technology career, but I don't, I don't want to lead people. I don't, you know, I, I, I want to be a solo artist. I want to, you know, I want to do my thing and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lead people. Or, you know, well, I have a particular passion around this set of technologies 
and I really don't want to work in any other set of technologies. Or I want to be focused on technology and therefore I don't want to do, I don't want to spend any time you know, in operations. I don't want to spend any time in other parts of our business. I would say absolutely that one should invest in a technology career and invest in education in technology. But I think you need to think broadly about that because even, even if you want to spend the majority of your career in technology, you'll be so much more effective if you have appreciation for the other parts of business that work together with technology to achieve the outcomes that we all hope to achieve. Well said, and, and I fully agree with it. Um, we are coming almost to the end, and I would like to uh, kind of leave you with the last question, which is more about a, a visionary question. Um, if you look at our market today with the current players, do, do you see three, five years from now the same players? Um, or are you see new players getting into this domain and, and we're going to face something completely different in, in a few years' time? If we're talking about three to five years, uh, I'll put my money on largely the same players. Uh, and the reason that I say that is, you know, this connectivity business requires massive investments that have to be sustained over very long periods of time. In the wireless space, you're talking about spectrum that you need to have acquired and you've got to go through regulatory processes. And, you know, you're talking now about big money and accumulation over time. And on the wire line side, you know, you're, you're talking about uh, very expensive civil engineering projects to go deploy, you know, physical medium, one home or business at a time. Uh, and so those are, those are very long-term investment cycles. And I think it's, I think it's challenging for, for the landscape to change dramatically in a three to five year period of time. And in a longer period, you do see new players emerging? I think you'd have to be naive to say that, no. that you know, something doesn't get disrupted over a longer no. period of yeah. time. I mean, we're, technology is such, a, is such an incredibly dynamic force that... You know, everything changes. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, if we're talking about over the long term, I would bet on technology and disruption every time. I can't predict what that looks like today. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as has been the outcome in just about every place that, you know, technology has, has existed, disruption, you know, follows at some point in time. And so I, I would... I would bet my money that something happens over the long haul for sure. Well, Eric, it was a pleasure. Um, I, I really enjoyed this talk. It was a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, you as well. And thank you so much for, for having me. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.